In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Callie White. Callie is the author of the upcoming book, The Monsters We Make, about the paperboy disappearances in Iowa in the early 1980s. Callie is based right here in the Des Moines area and is like basically one of the best humans you're ever going to meet. Yeah, and that is on full display. Yes. In our interview. Yes. Um, you will immediately want to be her friend after listening to our conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, she she might let you. She she probably would. She probably She's would. that nice. <laughs> she she probably... would be friends with you. So even if you're subpar, she'll be friends with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Which is evidenced by me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, Erin. Don't talk to yourself that I way. Know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, that's how great Callie is. That's my point. <laughs> We got her on Zoom, and we talked about her love of libraries, classics that definitely suck, book signings from hell, and an obsession that she and I share. That's a good one. Uh, You'll find all the books that she talks about in the show notes. And now, here's our interview with Callie White. So, Callie, take us back. So, Amy, your, to your childhood, <laughs> <laughs> what, what was a favorite book what, or multiple favorite books as a kid, teen? So a, the book from my childhood um, was a little picture book called Elizabeth by a writer named um, Liesl Moak Scorpin. It's a very obscure book 
about this little girl who gets a doll for Christmas, but then she's jealous because her cousin also gets a doll and her cousin's doll is better. And there's just all this great domestic drama and everything else going on. And I had checked it out of the public library of the little hometown I lived in um, so many times and had my parents read it to me so many times. I think I was like four or five maybe that the librarian very gently asked me to please not check it out again so that some other <laughs> child could have a chance to check it out. And so I left it and the next little girl who checked it out, uh, I'm just gonna say it, the brat lost it. <gasps> lost the copy, the only copy in the whole library. And I was crushed when this happened and I did not see a copy of that book again for 30 years, I finally tracked it down through a rare books dealer. Oh my God. You are showing us the copy. I'm showing you a copy. Yes. And my husband bought it for my birthday one year. It was, it was kind of expensive because there were so few copies made at the time. Um, but I now own one. Choice Took forever to find it though. Wow. Okay. So y y you should have just been allowed to keep that book since that little brat. I kind of thought so. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I got a raw deal in that <laughs> the library, but you know, I will say this about libraries too. You know, I grew up in a, a very rural uh, area of Southern Iowa and I was a farm kid and my, my family just, we didn't have a lot of money and the library became a really big deal to me. I think that was kind of what started my love of books and reading because the library was the great equalizer, right? Yeah. Everyone can leave with something. It didn't cost my mom anything. We could go every single week. Um, so libraries have always had a real special place in my heart for that reason. Absolutely. Well, another thing that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is classics that we've struggled with, or maybe that might've impeded our reading life at some point. Um, we, Discussed in detail Moby Dick, but what would you say are some of yours? Oh, yes. I think Moby Dick should just be called Dick. <laughs> in my opinion, I mean, like, it's all the, it's so much wailing. I have no sophistication for classics. Um, I, years ago, I, I talked a friend of mine, my friend Jackie, into doing a, a book club of two just me and her, of, <laughs> of all classics, because I felt like I had all these holes in my reading experience, and I wanted to go back and kind of fill some of those in. And so what I discovered was, I, is that I don't have a very sophisticated reading eye when it comes to a lot of this classic literature. And so like a couple of the books, I started giving them really mean nicknames, because I just disliked them so much. Like we read Middlemarch, and by the end, I was like, they should just call it Death March. It's so dull. I just couldn't even. And like Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky was another one. Like, it's just punishment. I, 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 I heard your interview with Sean Adams. And I was yeah. like, because he named that one as one he really loved. And I was like, maybe he needs to explain it to me because <laughs> I just... Mm -mm -mm. Couldn't yeah. Get that. yeah. So how did the book club of two continue or did you just say, screw this classics? Oh, we got through several. Um, 
she hung in there with me for a long time. We like we read Willa Cather's My Antonia, which I did enjoy that one. Um, oh gosh, we read a bunch. And then once I got into graduate school, yeah, I I started reading more that and finding more that I actually enjoyed. Like that, I didn't discover Richard Yates until graduate school, and I love Revol- Revolutionary Road. Um, and like I read the the Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn. That's another older classic I really loved. And Sherwood Anderson is another one I discovered. Um, so I kind of redeemed myself, I guess, after my attempt at a classics book club failed. <laughs> that's what, you know, I mean, that's what Aaron and I always talk about is sometimes some of the things they name classics are just such a disservice and they push people away from reading, you know? I agree. I, some of them feel so inaccessible. They're just dense. And, you know, if you're not, if, if you're someone who loves to read for story, it's very hard to appreciate a classic that's lauded for language and, you know, some of these other highbrow ideas. And um, I, I like literature that's, I like to think of literature as it's for everyone, right? But yeah. sometimes it feels very uh, uh, like a like a country club. I yes. have not been invited to be a member of. <laughs> yes, and that I don't want to be a member of. Right. I don't want to wear a blazer with a you know gold patch on the oh. chest or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, with some of the books maybe that you were reading at the library growing up or, or any other books, was there one when you were a kid or maybe later that made you think, yes, I can do this? So I remember as a teenager going through a stage where I read a lot of Pearl S. Buck and wow. Danielle Steele. Yes. At the same time. <laughs> that is a great duo. <laughs> so clearly I was not discriminant in what I read. And I remember enjoying both. Um, it, I, it wasn't until like my early 20s that I read my first book that was, was contemporary literature that really, really made me want to be a writer. And that was um, The Book of Ruth by Jane Hamilton. Um, I think I read it when I was like 20 or 21 and I loved that book. I think I've read it two or three times since then. Um, And I've read everything she's ever written since then. And, um, but that was really the book that, that set the fire that I really wanted to try and try and be a writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So transitioning a little bit to your reading life now, how many books would you say are on your TBR pile? And are you willing to share a few? Oh boy. Uh, I for sure will die with a reading list with the to be read pile next to my bed. <laughs> will we'll die with one. Will you bequeath the ones you haven't read to someone in your will? I, I think I will. I, yes, I'm going to have to make arrangements in formal writing for what to do with the to-be-read pile. <laughs> I don't own jewelry, but they're going to have to figure out what to do with all the damn books. Yeah. Um, so I, because I teach um, for an MFA program, I have, to, I, read off, I have to read across all genres. So I blame that for making my to-be-read pile so big. Um, 
Right now, so like I always have a physical book I'm reading and then a book I'm listening to on audio. So right now I just started reading Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore, which is so far it's excellent. And then I started listening to The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which is brilliant and devastating. Um, but I, in my To Be Read pile, I also have um, a nonfiction book called Hidden Valley Road about the schizophrenic family, right? Um, and then I have The Grace Year by Kim Liggett, which is dystopian and it's very feminist fiction. Um, I have, I just finished a great essay collection by Sue William Silverman called How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences, which the structure of that was so brilliant. I've actually started teaching it a little in some of my essay classes. Um, and then this might interest you too. I just finished a, a, another nonfiction book called Stranger Danger. Oh my God. Stranger Danger, Family Values, Childhood, and the American um, Carceral System. It's by Paul Renfro. And it's all about the 80s and 90s um, child stranger abduction paranoia. Oh and God. he based it on his University of Iowa dissertation which was, the dissertation was about the Des Moines paper boy stories. And yes. that's the one you mentioned in your uh, afterward. And again, yes. Okay. I, I tracked Paul down when I found his dissertation online because I read the whole thing. Like who, who reads PhD, like graduate PhD dissertations? Well, I do apparently. You do. And I tracked him down and I interviewed him about the PhD and we stayed in touch and stayed friendly and over the years. And it turns out we both had, books related to these 80s abductions come out in the same three-month period. Wow. Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. Do you, you know, you mentioned a couple that are, that have been on your list and that you've either started reading or finished, but has there been something that surprised you in a, a great way recently? Yeah, I just finished a book called Followers by Megan Angelo. Uh-huh which is another kind of dystopian, um, it's a dual timeline story and it's about social media and influencers. Oh, and at first when I started reading it, I was a little like, I don't know it. it I thought it was going to be a little, I had, I don't know. I expected it to be a little kitschy or something, but it was very, um, it ended up being a lot more in depth and like this, real hard look at smartphones and, and social media and our obsession with influencers and fame. And cause part of it's set in 2016 and part of it is set in, in 2051. And she very cleverly brings the two timelines together. And I, I did not expect to like that book as much as I did. Wow. That's always so fun. Yeah. Cool. How do you normally find your book recommendations? I, so I subscribe to a lot of, um, like, a like the Midwest independent booksellers association. They always release a newsletter that I get in my inbox. Um, I get a lot from social media people if they read a book they like and post, but I have to say broads and books has really streamlined my process. <laughs> yes. Still yes. one stop shopping. If I'm like, 
ah, what do I want to put on hold at the library or something? I'll just <laughs> go out to the Brosnan Books website and scan it and be like, done. That was easy. Yes. Yeah. So you saved me a little bit of time now. <laughs> Excellent. We do it for you, Kelly. <laughs> it's all about me. Thank yeah. you for acknowledging that. <laughs> so we got to read uh, an early copy of The Monsters We Make. Uh, now it's coming out in August, right? The date. Yeah, it got bumped yeah. from June. And for those who are listening, it's based on the Paperboy kidnappings of the early 1980s. And you mentioned what I really liked at the end is you mentioned a bunch of the things that you used to yeah. learn more about it, to really dig into the, uh, the research around it. But any that really stuck with you, any particular books that you just felt like people should read no no matter what i'll tell you it wasn't it wasn't books it was documentaries that really stuck with me really there were two um the the documentary on hbo about the larry nasser um sex abuse yeah um scandal uh was that's a they're hard to watch but they're i think they're important in understanding how like systemic abuse takes place. Yeah. Um, and the same with the, the Michael Jackson documentary, the leaving Neverland, I think is what it was called, um, was devastating, but again, really important in understanding how systemic abuse can take place. Um, I learned a lot watching those documentaries. Um, I interviewed several people too. Um, and the interviews really stuck with me. That had to be a really hard process, like very, you know, important and educational, but hard to talk to people who actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a very Iowan book. It's, you know, with Des Moines. Um, and that's kind of rare that we see that. So do you, are there books that you think that have captured Iowa or Des Moines particularly well that you've come across? Oh, that, that's a good question. Um, I read a great collection by an author named Melinda McCallum. It's a short story collection, and a lot of the stories are set in Des Moines. Oh wow! I I so enjoyed that collection. You don't I I couldn't remember ever reading a, a collection through that uh, like based in Des Moines, Iowa centric. Um, and I, I love Heather Gudenkoff. Um, she's the writer from Dubuque and she sets all her books in Iowa. Um, she writes kind of thriller mystery books and she's just one of the sweetest humans you'll ever meet. Generous, humble. Um, I always enjoy her books. Um, and I, you know, years ago, I was a huge fan of Jane Smiley, like the, A Thousand Acres was for a long time, I, I, a real um, influential book. I've written about Iowa farm, you know, my second book was about an Iowa farm family and um, A Thousand Acres was pretty influential for that one. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I'm throwing us curveball because I just thought of another question. But <laughs> um, you know, what I got to after reading The Monsters We Make and the end of it, you, you talk specifically about how some of the ways that we grew up and some of the kids that we, you know, these kind of kids and the strange mm -hmm. nature and everything made us all so super anxious and paranoid and, you know, the parents that 
don't want know the dangers out there and don't want our kids to go through it. And then it made me think of how much you loved the book that we just discovered too, um, why we can't sleep. And I, I feel loved like that book. Together. It felt like it validated everything you said. Yes. I, I, I read that book in January right after it came out. And I love that book. I felt like that author and the, every word of that text understood me and who I am now and why I am the way I am. It was such a good book. I bought yeah. that book on your recommendation. Did you really? Yeah, you said it, that you loved it. I mean, didn't you feel like it kind of validated a lot of how you are and the way you are in middle age? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I felt like it it was such an interesting uh, connection made between that book and exactly what you were talking about, particularly with parenthood. I've had so many parents, now parents that were kids in that time that like we all were, feel that exact same way. Yeah, I think we are a generation of just anxiety, right? Like, unlike, you know, I, I think for sure more than generations before us. I worry sometimes about the anxiety level of the generations coming up behind us, but um, I think we were the first generation of true, like, anxiety in our DNA. Yeah. Scared well, the very it. fact that it's not even, like, clearly defined, like, we fall right in between Gen Xers and Millennials a lot. Like, we don't even really have a set category 100%. And right. that in and of itself just it's like symbolic for all of the anxiety that we have and that nothing ever quite fits like it should. Right. And we're just such a distrusting generation, I think, because oh, of how we grew up and how yes. like what was drummed into our heads on a daily basis. And, you know, like I remember sitting at lunch every day with those milk cartons with miss, the faces of missing children staring at me every single day. And yeah. you know, they, the National Health Institute finally realized they needed to stop doing that because it was terrorizing school children. <laughs> That's part of the reason they stopped doing it. Oh my God. Yeah, it was having such negative effects on children who were seeing them on the single milk cartons every day at lunch. It makes sense. I mean, it was terrifying. It was like the specter of who we could be. Yeah. Staring at us over breakfast. (laughs) Over breakfast, right. (laughs) Over weird cardboard pizza. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good curveball, Amy. I liked it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're to like the, our kind of our favorite five at the end. And the first one is that we want to know about your weirdest or funniest or strangest or whatever you want to say fan interaction. And is it oh. us or is it Matthew Kaye? Because I'd love to call him out at some point. <laughs> Matt's are, he gets way more than I do. Like he, I don't even think he told some of the weird stuff that happens to him like he like strangers women send him naked pictures and all what? Stuff. oh yeah he just mentioned it offhand one time like oh I, yeah they, sometimes I get women who message me you know pictures of their boobs and it's like <laughs> do you get that do you get a lot of pictures of boobs from I do not oh, I oh. apparently I don't my fan base is a little different than his I think <laughs> Should I be offended? I've never gotten a... Man, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a sign of true success is getting a, a boob picture. Yeah. Unsolicited boob picture. Yeah. 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 Well, aside from no boob pictures, what else? 
So mine is an, it, this is a doozy. This is an event story. So almost, oh, this has been over 15 years ago after I published my first book. Um, I think my book, this would have been in 2006. So my book, I don't think it had been out more than a couple weeks. And this woman I kind of knew um, emailed me and set up this event at her mother's store. And that was the word she used. Um, it was this little tiny Iowa town in the middle of nowhere, but she said, my mom has this store. You should come do an author event during our big fall festival on this date on a Saturday. Be naive, new to writing and promoting. Sure. So I go and I get there and the store on the square is not it's not really a store. It's more like, um, well, it was not like, it was a pharmacy, <laughs> not a store. It was a pharmacy that had like one rack of gift books that, you know, one of those metal racks that spins and the love, the owner was lovely. Right. So she set me up in the display window of the pharmacy with a card table and a chair. So I'm in, you know, right there in the big display window next to like, I, it was like a, an electric scooter or a Johnny on the spot in the display window, just me, the chair, the card table and my stack of books. And so like all these people who are outside walking around for the fall festival walk by and they see me in the window and they, and I would like wave and they kind of wave back like who is this asshole sitting in you know Schwipp's pharmacy window or whatever and here's the other mistake I made I would they scheduled me for like four hours total rookie mistake you know like you learn this the hard way so the first hour I the store is oh the pharmacy is open so customers are coming in to do their pharmacy business and so for like the first hour I kept they would come up and ask me questions like, you know, where's, where's, where are the wrist splints? And I would very, you know, politely say, oh, I, I don't work for the pharmacy. I'm just here. Uh, I'm an author. I'm here with my book. And they'd be like, yeah, where are the wrist splints? Oh my so God. after an hour, I just gave up. And for the next three hours, people, you know, someone would walk in and they'd be like, where's the hemorrhoid cream? And I'd be like, aisle four. No, don't keep going. <laughs> Next aisle, keep back, back there, right there. Yep, good. And they get their hemorrhoid cream, buy it, and be on their way. I think I sold like one book the whole day. Very humbling experience, to say the least. <laughs> oh, there's so many, so many questions about what that lady was thinking, but the idea of you as like a living display, though, is one that I'm going to enjoy for a long time. <laughs> That is exactly what I was. It was so bizarre. And it was, I, I was there for so many hours up in that display window. Uh, I, I had just recently remembered that story. I had kind of forgotten it or, blocked or it like blocked it out of my memory. Mm -hmm. But I recently recalled it. I also once had a, I was at a book festival and a woman came up to the table and she picked up my book and she looked at it and she goes, is this happy? And I said, no, not really. And she goes, fine, I'll buy it, but I'm not going to read it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, 
Uh, thank you. Okay. Great. Every damn time we talk to an author, we learn how horrible people are. Yeah, humans ruin everything, don't they? We're really good at that. Oh my god. <laughs> it makes sense to say out loud. Like I know. You know? I keep coming to is like, why, how did that translate in your head? That is, it was so funny. I had someone else once ask me, um, she said, this was at a book club and she said something like, um, you write really dark stuff. Like what's, what's wrong with you? Oh my God. I was like, I don't have any idea how to answer that. Yeah. Didn't we kind of hear, we've heard a story similar to that before, that someone read a book and then was like, I, you obviously have trauma that you need to work through. <laughs> yes. Like how unbelievably presumptive. Yeah. And also there's a whole thing called imagination and creativity. And obviously they don't understand this. Yeah. I, I know. I wish I would have had like a really smart, quick answer. Like, you know, Stephen King got asked one time, how do you write what you write? And he said, well, I have the mind of a little boy and I keep it in a jar on my desk. <laughs> I, I don't think that fast on my feet though. So I just, I just always kind of stumble and go, I, I, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what you want me to say. Which I don't know how you could have an answer ready at that point, because there's no way you could anticipate being people being that dumb. Well, who uh, did you who did you want to like among authors that you loved and revered? Who did you want to meet and you did get to meet? Oh, so well, we're back to Jane Hamilton again, right? <laughs> we're gonna see a recurring theme here. Okay. So she was my she was my dream author that I wa I had wanted to meet ever since I read the first her first book, and finally in like two thousand seven two thousand eight. Um, the Des Moines Public Library, they have that AVID program, the authors okay. visiting in Des Moines, and she was one of their AVID authors. And so I went down to her AVID event with every single one of my copies of every book she had ever published. Like, I didn't care. I, it, you know, you're really only supposed to take like one, maybe two books through. I had an armful, every copy I had ever bought. I stood in line forever and I was nervous and I was giddy and I was really I got up to the table and I set my pile down and I got like really flustered and sort of like oh my god I'm you have no idea like and I couldn't finish sentences and she was so calm I will give that woman credit like she wasn't alarmed she wasn't concerned she signed Every one of those stupid copies I brought, she wrote personal notes in them. She took pictures with me. And at the end, she gave me a hug and I, I nearly stroked out. It was. <laughs> what a great experience. Oh, though. yeah. You always hope that, you know, when you meet one of your favorite authors, they'll be wonderful. But because that isn't always what happens when you meet someone you've admired for so long. And yeah, yeah. She, um, I met her a second time too, like 10 years later, I went to a writer's conference and <laughs> I sat in the very front row right next to the stage. And she was speaking with um, Charles Baxter um, at that conference. And when she walked out on stage, she glanced off to the side and looked right at me. And she had this moment where she kind of looked like she recognized me and smiled and waved. 
and I like they my friends nearly had to give me oxygen I was so like oh my god I think she recognizes me it was almost more than I could take that means that that first initial meeting really stuck in her head yeah that or she was like I'm just gonna smile and wave and like hit the panic button under the desk <laughs> Call security. Call security. She's back. Yeah. <laughs> or she was like, I think I saw her in a display at a <laughs> festival. I remember her. Yeah. I've seen her in a window. <laughs> Next to the Johnny on the spot. How would you say that your love or joy of reading has changed since you became a published writer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think... Well, I think especially since I went to school and I started teaching, I, I read a lot more variety than I ever did before. Um, that, especially in my MFA program, really pushed me to expand what I read. Um, but also the downside of that is the more you learn about writing, the more it's hard to read and not pick apart other books. Yeah. yeah. Um, like sometimes I get so distracted by things I think are lazy or um, sometimes point of view stuff drives me up the wall. That That's the kind of stuff that happens. You know, you see a book that explodes in popularity and you're like, oh, this looks promising. You start reading it, but then that writer part of your brain kicks on and ruins it. <laughs> yeah. I can see sometimes too how like if if I look at a very popular book and I'm not enjoying it or I'm like, Jesus, where did, you know, the writing here, I'm not really digging it. Then I start getting like, well, why is this published versus other people that we love? Like, what, this isn't fair. And yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it's a weird, it makes you feel like you aren't part of the club, right? Like there's something, I'm missing something. I'm, you know, like the popular kids aren't letting me hang out. Yeah. I don't get it. So, okay. Is there a book that you think everyone should read? Yes. I have two big ones. Um, I think first The Handmaid's Tale oh. by Margaret Atwood, <clears throat> which mm-hmm. I, I love that book. And even if you don't love it for the, you know, just the, the storytelling or the enjoyment of reading it, I just think it's an important book that everyone should read. Yeah. And the other one I think I think should be required reading in high school even is um, Between the Between the World and Me by Tennessee Coates. Yes. Such yeah. a good book. Yeah. It's such an important book. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great one because then especially younger kids could see themselves in that as oh, he's yeah. growing up and becoming, you know, a man and yeah. Yes. And it's so well written and I, it's, I just, I don't understand how that's not required reading for all humans, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good one. Well, so at the end, we always talk about our pop culture obsessions. So what's your current pop culture obsession? Well, I, I think you have talked about this on your show. I love anything Phoebe Waller-Bridge, right? So Fleabag, I have watched both seasons probably four times <laughs> since I discovered Fleabag. And I also love Killing Eve. She wrote the first season of Killing Eve. Love that show. Um, I just got done watching on Hulu. There's a new series called The Great. 
I loved that show. Yes. Oh, oh thank yeah. you. It's <laughs> it, the writing in that show is wild, but I loved it. Yes. Wholly inappropriate, <laughs> like unexpectedly violent, but I uh -huh. I loved I thought it was funny and smart and yeah, loved that one. And then oh well, we can't not discuss the shared obsession with oh, Keith no. Morrison. Yep. Aaron mm -hmm. and I share mm -hmm. an inexplicable <laughs> obsession and love of Keith Morrison. Dateline. Mm -hmm. I will follow him wherever he goes. I know. I felt personally betrayed on his Twitter because his daughter did like a promo for the Dateline, an update episode he was doing. And I like, I know he has kids, but in my head, I was like, no, that's not. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, that's crossed the line. <laughs> like, oh I'm like, so jealous that she got to do that. I'm like, you're just home with Keith Morrison. Great. Like, I know. I can't explain. You are the only person I, the only other person I've met who shares this obsession with him. I can't, I have tried to decipher and break down what it is. Like, it's not just the hair and the tennis shoes and the leaning. I think it's also how he narrates his voice. Like, it's unmistakable. It's so fabulous. Like, especially at the beginning of every Dateline episode, he always does that, where he says something like, it was a quaint little town, but looks can be deceiving. I don't know how he does that with his voice. And anyone else, that would be, like, it would be ridiculous. Like, he'd be like, I hate this guy, I can't do it. But for some reason, he can pull it off, and it's like his signature thing, like the most ridiculous narration. And coming out of him, you're like... National treasure. I agree. I agree. And it's like Andrew Canning. Sorry, you, you can just suck it. It's like no Keith Morrison. Mm -hmm. I just recently got this, this gig writing, um, writing true crime articles for the A&E network um, on there. They have this blog called real crime where they feature real crime stories. And when I first got it, I had this weird moment where I was like, I wonder if this is one getting me one step closer to meeting Keith Morrison. Yes. Like in this weird grand scheme of the universe. Is that what's happening? And I hope so. I was just Aaron's banking on that. Like Aaron really wants this to to be. Yeah. I will one hundred percent bring you along with me, Aaron, I promise. Okay. Well, we might need to prep because I don't want to ruin your professional career. <laughs> but I, oh my gosh, can you even imagine? I can't even imagine. I don't even know what I would say. I don't even know what my opening line would be. I would just be a mess. I think I would too. Well, I already know. I've already told the Jane Hamilton story. So we already know how I will act. It's <laughs> been, it's been done. So what can you bring for Keith to sign at a meeting? Converse. Converse oh. shoes. Oh, okay. Okay. 100%. I mean, if all else fails, I will just like sign my boob. I don't care. I will just, yeah. let's go for it. It's Keith Morrison. Yep. You know, he has to get unsolicited boob pictures, right? For sure. For sure. A hundred percent. I mean, if Matthew Kaye is getting them, for sure Keith Morrison is getting them. It has to be. Has to be. <laughs> has to I be also good. feel a little like upset that Matthew didn't admit that. 
when we were talking to him. Yeah. Like that's a, a big thing that we could have, you know, really. We really could have used. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I always thought it was just women who got horrible pictures like that, but apparently not. I was so shocked when he told me that. He takes it all in jest though. I mean, he, he handles it very well. He's very respectful and just politely deletes them. And yeah. Wow. This is, if I get a dick pic, I'm sending it to all my friends. Mm -hmm. Like, look at this. Look at well, this. I, it, it did make me feel a little bit like, well, that's not fair. I've never gotten a dick pic. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> you're not on dating apps. That's what you're not. <laughs> is that it? There you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you you can feel free to join Tinder and you will get a lot and you will feel validated. Yeah. See, Erin, you don't have to worry about ruining my career because apparently I'm running it wrong all on my own. <laughs> I think if you do a display window again, you might get some dick pics in the right area with the right feeling. The and right kind of display, like window? On display window. Yeah. 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 Send your comments here. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could get you some. If that's your, I mean, if that's your life goal, we can make it happen. <laughs> well, that's that's it, Kelly. Thank this you. This was wonderful. Um, I feel like I held it together for the most part. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, indeed. you did. And thanks again for the advanced copy. Of yeah. Oh, thank you for reading it. This was fun. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. We'll see you thank soon. Come on. Yeah. She's fantastic. God, she's fantastic. I mean, does it get any better? <laughs> I don't think so. I, you know, I mean, just her talking about her favorite library book and how she just wanted, she just wanted it every week. And she had a right to it because then yeah. the next person that got it. Yes. Lost it. That's everyone's worst fear. It is. Uh, terrible. And then it took her how many years to actually find it? 30 years. That's horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. But I also like, you know, talking about libraries, about how, what a salvation that is, especially for children in rural areas. And it's kind of the great equalizer, like yeah. she said. It just makes everything kind of an even playing field. And the excitement, I can recognize that myself. Absolutely. We've talked about it. Yeah. Going to the library when you're a kid was just the best. Yeah. It still is. It's still. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Not in the times of Rona, but, you know, in. Uh... Hey, I still get excited. When I drive up I to that too. pickup and they give me books like curbside, me I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a sex supplement. Yes. <laughs> um, I really liked that she has renamed a lot of classics as they really are and that they definitely suck. Like uh, Middle March is just Death March yes. in her brain, <laughs> which is pretty great. Yeah, that's great. Um, I related a bunch to how we're the generation of anxiety you know growing up in the midst of the missing paper boys which is uh, you know what our book is about the pictures on milk cartons stranger danger um and why the book why we can't sleep captures that which you had recommended and, and it on her recommendation on her actually. recommendation yeah. yes great circle of life including <laughs> oh man i really wanted to sing the lion king song <laughs> And part of that is we all know Matthew Kaye, and we oh. know we love Matthew Kaye. Yes. Callie went to school with him, and so we got to revisit one of our favorite conversations, although I was very mm -hmm. angry to learn that he didn't share mm -hmm. with us mm -hmm. that he gets women sending naked pictures. Yeah. Maybe he felt, you know, ashamed. You shouldn't feel ashamed, Matthew. No. You should not. And we are the people you should share that kind of information yes. with. We don't want to hear that secondhand. No. 
Well, we keep it to ourselves. Not necessarily, <laughs> but you'll but feel better. information to have. Yes. And yes. you should have told us. Yes. We're going to let this one slide, but don't let it happen again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that really stuck with me was that book signing oh in the God. pharmacy window. And you were beside yourself on the Zoom. I was watching your face like, what? What? I just... Putting myself in there, I got sweaty. Like the idea, right? Oh my god! And they're asking her, like, "Where's the wrist splint?" Yeah. And then the she just gave cream? in and helped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have just gave in and left, but no, nope. she buckled down. She did. She did the work. <laughs> so, kudos to her. And Aaron, let's talk about the shared obsession that you two have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why mm-hmm. you became friends mm-hmm. in a way. Or if it wasn't, at least you recognized like a certain something yes. in each other. Yes. And when it became clear that that something was Keith Morrison. It's oh my done. goodness. It's yeah. done. It's done. I knew that for about 10 minutes, I would just be watching the two of you talk. <laughs> And that's about what happened. <laughs> I know. And you know what? When you find other Keith Morrison fans, it's weird because still no one has been able to put mm-hmm. into words the es- essence that is Keith Morrison. He, you know when people say, oh, he has it? That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. That's it. I don't know what it is, but he has it. Mm-mm. And I want some of it. <laughs> Not in a weird way. I just want to have some of that it. You know? I don't know. I think it, it is a weird way because you got real jealous of like her, his daughter tweeting or yeah, something. Yeah, that's true. I did have a weird yeah. reaction to that. Because yeah. it didn't occur to me that other people got to hang out with Keith Morrison <laughs> during pandemic. And that was kind of a bummer. I was like, oh, yeah, he has a family. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And I, I uh, enjoy watching this obsession. I don't really understand it. But, you know, it's part of what makes you you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. We will be back. In the meantime, head to our website, bradsonbooks.com. And check out all of these bonus episodes, because if you've missed any, it is a perfect time to get listening. Yes. Like we said, this is a new series of bonus episodes we're providing. Have you seen them all? Because there's Alex Marzano Lesnovich, Andrea Lawler, Jeannie Vanasco, Matthew Kaye. Matthew Kaye. And more coming all the time. Yes. So get on it. Yeah. Subscribe now and you'll get them all direct to you. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they are coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? 
maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.